and what they're going to do is they're going to put the red and black makeup with the kind of the horns around the skull, like you know. So she'll be the same species that Darth she'll Maul be the was. yeah. She could be the daughter of Darth Maul. Exactly, per- precisely. Hmm. No. Okay. No, no, not buying it. All no. right. This is episode 62 of the Movie Bite podcast, where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, September... No, no, it's Thursday, September 26, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and here with me, escape from prison, to join us is Joe Darnell. TJ, thank you for having me back. Yes, it's good. It's very good to have you back. I, I was just thinking, actually, I was very late in getting to the show outline, which I, you know, do one every week. And uh, but here I am, just even minutes before the show was starting, working on the outline. And you were in there with me editing in Google Docs, and it was just it reminded me of how much I enjoyed just that aspect of the show, editing mm. the outline with you. Mm. Yeah, it's just like old times. Yeah, that's right. I, I Hammering out a few keys. That's right. So it felt good to do. Well, I, uh, my wife is away visiting. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance. Did you get a chance oh, yeah? to listen to my podcast episode, the Infrequent TechCast episode one? I did. Yeah. So she is visiting the Piper family. Joshua was the oh, really? other guy uh, with me there and uh, on that episode, and she's she's away. So I'm I have I've like did I take s- all, so she took all the kids. Yes, she did, and she's visiting. Uh, they're expecting another baby, and so huh. she's visiting them and helping out around the house and stuff, and just in general having fun down there in in Georgia, Good. down in your neck of the woods. So oh. anyway, I'm I'm very hungry. I've only scraped a little bit of leftovers <laughs> from the fridge as I scooted in here from work to get ready for this podcast. So if I if I feel a little if I seem a little faint or start you know passing out or you can't hear me, just huh. pick up the slack for me, would you? Well, I would have saved some of my charcoal chicken for you tonight, but you didn't tell me. <laughs> well, and I don't know. I don't think Skype has their transporter technology live yet either. You don't have the the you know portable transport beaming device. Oh well, that would see that would be super special. Seriously, I sent you one for Christmas. Okay, all right. Well, I I missed that. I'll, hopefully, you'll send me another one this Christmas because I, ah. I don't have it. So um, anyway, yeah, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, well, thank you. I enjoyed going back to the movies all by myself to watch a creepy movie in the d- dark, dank theater at ten o'clock at night last night. What a, what a movie to uh, to dive into! When was, what's the last <laughs> movie you saw before this? Prisoners. Uh, da, 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 da. it was actiony. I remember that. It was probably five ish episodes ago. Wasn't too long ago. Yeah, I did have you on the show not too long ago. It was right before my last episode of Movieology, which is uh, mixing things up for me. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I did Elysium for Movieology. I can't remember what I did last on Movie Bite. It's been yeah. a few weeks. It's almost been two months, I guess. So I'm looking in the show outlines right now, and we're gonna we're gonna move on past this meta conversation. But it must have been back in August, right? It was Steve Jobs, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was not actiony at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but much better for it. I, I yeah. really don't want to see that version of his story. Uh, so I titled that show outline "Steve Jobs of Monsters." What? Yeah, I, just the outline, not the show. Um, oh, okay. and I'm trying to remember why I did that. Oh, it's because we also watched Percy Jackson Sea of Monsters. That's why you're getting that was, it was action. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> See, I still didn't even remember that until you said it because <laughs> you didn't like it. Uh, well, hey, we should uh, we should talk to some talk to our folks about stuff that they are interested in, not just stuff we're interested in. Oh, okay. I mean, because so this is the Movie Bite podcast. This is, so. this is, well, we were sort of like getting into the IMDb database of Movie Bite itself. So, okay. Well, here we go. We're going to talk about some trailers. In a world, in a world, 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 world. 
in a world. All right, so this week up in trailers, we have the Need for Speed, a Toy Story of Terror commercial, uh, Escape Plan clip, uh, everything you ever wanted to know about Ultron, which isn't exactly a trailer, <laughs> but, uh, you know. Um, big-ass spider trailer, Ender's <laughs> Game TV spot, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 2 trailer. That's so, a lot of trailers, DJ. No, Did all not those really. come out in the last week? Uh, yeah, those, all those are – we didn't talk about any of these last week. This must have been all the trailers on the internet. Uh, no, probably not, actually. Well, no. and the Need for Speed isn't even actually on Movie Byte. I had just now you, – you actually put it in the show outline. I was not aware of it mm-hmm. yet. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about the Need for Speed. And since this is your link, why don't you tell us a little bit about this film? Okay, well, everybody listen up who is a Breaking Bad fan. Um, the reason this caught my attention was it is starring Aaron Paul. And you'll remember him as being uh, Jesse on Breaking Bad. Well, they might. I won't. Yeah, yeah. You, you're just a poor loser, man. You don't have any time for television and stuff. You don't you don't watch anything. No, that's not true. I watch You're a lot of television. You're managing a website. You don't I, have time for this. I watch a lot of television. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron Paul, though, he does a phenomenal job as Jesse. And I'm probably halfway through the entire Breaking Bad series. And I only started, a, you know, everybody will remember, I only just got started. And uh, I like him. But I haven't seen him in any movies before. And when I saw that there was a need for, for speed trailer. I wasn't interested in it until I realized, Oh, okay. So it's got Aaron Paul. And so, uh, what really struck me was I was expecting this to feel like a ripoff of fast and furious. It sounds and like it, a ripoff of fast and furious. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a video game, right? You're thinking grand theft auto. You're thinking the need for speed. I mean, it just, it sounds lame at the get go. Yeah, and I don't expect it to be much, but the trailer suggests to me that it's like it's not really like fast and furious at all it's more akin to uh what is his name ryan gosling's the driver only less indie and more mainstream with a lot of like pumped up action to it yeah although the trailer was very um how, how should you say uh, artistic or yeah something. yeah yeah which was very surprising for a, a film ca- called the need for speed and there's obviously a lot of action in it but it was very artistic in the way it was done which is very surprising here let me just let me just play a little bit of this so that people can get a sense for it and then the link for the trailer will be in the show notes so you should watch oh, it. oh and folks the voiceover in this trailer i believe is aaron paul and he doesn't sound at all like himself on breaking bad but I'm I'm ninety percent sure it's it's Aaron Paul. Okay. They took everything from me. I do not fear, for you are with me. So, I mean, you can even already just get a sense of just the way the music is. That it's not what you would have expected. I mean, I mean, even you could hear the engines revving in the background there and everything. And there's obviously action. And later in the trailer, there's some explosions and things. But it's very like uh, abstracted or, or or something. You know, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and everything he's saying is somewhat prosaic, which is well juxtaposed to these really shiny, expensive, speedy cars. You know, just. Uh, it, it looks like there's more to it than meets the eye. Do I see correctly that this stars uh, Michael Keaton? Mm, sure may. enough, yeah. Uh, so it stars Michael Keaton, uh, Dakota Johnson. I don't know who that is. Uh, Kid Cuddy. I don't know who that is. 
unfortunately, no one with the name Diesel, this thing says that we're linking to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, yeah, it, it, it definitely captured my interest, and it's not like like the title would have made me steer away from it. Like I would not have chosen to to look at this trailer. So that's very interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought it to my attention. I'll get it up on Movie Byte uh, tomorrow oh, sometime. Good deal. Good stuff. So now you had one up here though that caught my attention too, and I didn't expect it to ever show up. N- not this year anyway. What's that? The Toy Story. This Toy Story film. Now well, I saw, I saw the video. It's just a it's just a TV spot. I mean it's just a TV. Uh, it, it's it's like what is it twenty minutes or something or fifteen minutes? It's, it's something. yeah. If it's a thirty minute show time, then it means it's going to be like a twenty one minute program. Yeah, um, I, I don't have an official length on it, but it's it's just a, a TV short. Uh, and this is uh, this this is actually Pixar's first foray into a TV special. Well, TV special. It's is not just for. a it's not just a Pixar short for television. It's it's still got the original cast. Oh, it's, of course. It's not cartoon animation, which is cheap and easy to produce inside Disney. It's it's with the same CG that you would expect from Pixar. So it looks like it's got a huge budget. I mean, because I mean they got Tom Hanks. I'm assuming. And, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and this is this is Pixar, so of course no. it's you know it's going to be a big deal, and I think people are going to love it. The the interesting thing, you know, I think it just shows. I mean, there's still a, a pretty wide gap between TVs and movies, but that 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 line is blurring. That gap is narrowing, narrow, yeah. narrower. Well, I don't I can't talk tonight. It is getting more narrow. There we go. <laughs> it is ah uh, widening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you're just confusing things even more. <laughs> so yeah, I think that gap is shrinking. I mean, even just, uh, and we're going to talk about this a little bit in a bit, but, um, uh, the agents of shield, the TV show, I mean, that's, that's bringing the, the, the cinematic universe into a TV series. So, I mean, there's definitely a narrowing of that, a narrowing of that gap. So for some reason that word just doesn't sound right to me. Uh, anyway yeah they're calling it toy story of terror because it's all a halloween story a halloween special it is a halloween special and i'm not the trailer doesn't really let on how much it has to do with halloween itself to me it looks like it it follows the same well-worn path of the other toy story films where the toys get lost the toys have to get back somewhere i guess i didn't i didn't quite get that but here's just a, a short clip have you seen what? No. And so it begins. Wednesday, October 16th. This place is haunted. What? It's haunted? All your favorite toys are back in a brand new adventure. Bum, bum, bum. You'll laugh. <laughs> You'll scream. You'll... <laughs> Disgusting. From the studio that... <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of Halloween in general. I mean, like, I just don't like the holiday, but... You know, I mean, it, it's people like to, you know, studios like to make these things, yeah. you know, you've always got the Halloween shorts and specials and TV specials and films. And yeah, so know. the only reason we would watch this thing is for the characters. Oh, That's I'm, what we care about. I'm definitely watching it. No right, doubt. Right. It's right. Toy Story. But I mean, it's like if we heard, hey, Pixar and Disney are producing a TV special for Halloween and it's got all original characters. We would have been a little amused, but we probably wouldn't have taken the time to watch it. Yeah, no, I, you know, although, you know, it is Pixar and you got to watch stuff that comes out of Pixar. Yeah, no, this isn't the first time, though, that Pixar has done something for television, straight to television. Um, a lot of people don't realize but back when they, well, I guess, I, to me, as far as I'm concerned, this counts. A lot of people might think that for Pixar to produce a television program, it's a badge, you know, it's a sign of something. And I don't think it is. Because if you go, if you go way back to their roots, Pixar got started by making their money by doing television commercials. And I don't know if I were, knew this. Oh, yeah? Really? 
Yeah. They, they did a bunch of commercials in the early 90s, uh, CG commercials, and that was the way they were trying to make money to produce Toy Story until they finally convinced Disney to partner up with them. Hmm, okay. I, I and, did not know this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go look it up sometime. And, and when they released the original Toy Story, they produced a bunch of little, um, very little, but yet well-produced um, like gags with Toy Story characters for the Disney Channel and the ABC network. They produced these things with Toy Story characters that would be played during commercial breaks to promote Toy Story in theaters. But they had like 60 or 70 of them. And so they've done things with TV before. It's just been a long time. Yeah. Well, they've never done like a full length TV special before, though. No, no. So it's interesting. Um, And yeah, I'm definitely I kind of wish, though, that they wouldn't have, you know, returned to Toy Story in this way. I would have preferred it if they had original characters. Because I, I know that might have been a harder sell from Pixar. Yeah, perspective. it would have. I, I think they're. But, per- go ahead. Go ahead. Well, my point being that this is Pixar's big debut into a television special. So I would have preferred it if they had had the opportunity to do something of far more original than continue this franchise in this manner see i disagree i think that this is good a, a good stepping off point like they can always do that but like like stepping into the tv world with something that's familiar and that they already know how to do and so they're not having to learn how to do something new on top of having to do something new you see what i'm yeah. saying it, it so, does, but to me on the other hand it just makes me think oh you know what they do want to do is they just want to throw out something new with the toy story characters to remind children what toys they want their parents to buy them for christmas well that's probably certainly disney's motivation for this yeah yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, this is Pixar, and all the same minds are still there at Pixar, and I think that uh, I, I think it'll be good. Most of the same minds are still there, so I, I mean, I think it'll be good. And and I I I kind of hope that this leads to even some sort of TV series from Pixar because my one complaint with Pixar is that a film every year, and then we're not even getting that now. Uh, but but it's just too long to wait for new Pixar stuff. Well, yeah, you know what? If um if they wanted. To continue with a franchise on television, you know what franchise I would have wanted to watch would have been The Incredibles. I, I was just thinking the same thing. The they Incredibles would, have been perfect. would be perfect, episodic, twenty-one minute yeah, long you, spots. You, you can have your you can have your uh, bad bad guy of the week. You can have your hero of the week. I mean, you know yeah. all that stuff. So and it, and, it, and it would have just yeah, it would have fit fit perfectly. And let's say maybe they wanted to do a season's worth leading up to another feature film for The Incredibles. I would just think that that would be wonderful marketing. That would be a win-win, and so many people would just want to see that. Yeah. 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 Opportunity is knocking on their door. It is. Well, and, and, you know, Disney has the ABC channel, so they they could certainly get it. I mean, that's where Marvel's coming from. Uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is coming through the ABC channel. So, All right, well, we need to— Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? What is that? Uh, We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh, okay. Okay, so let's let's talk about this escape plan clip. And so here here it is. Maybe. Come on, internet. Wow, that that's a really we need to get into the isolation area. Okay. Good. <laughs> that's my favor. My son's famous hurt. Really? Let's see what you can do. Hang on. (laughs) It's like a radio drama. Hang on. (laughs) You hit like a vegetarian. Try this. (laughs) 
<laughs> like a vegetarian. That was what I was waiting for. Uh, so this is interesting. Uh, Escape Plan, I know it stars Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, but honestly, this film looks like quite a bit of fun to me. I don't know what it is. Like every other film that I've ever seen or seen a trailer for with either of these two, whether whether I've seen the actual film or just seen the trailer, I've I, it just, ugh, yeah. Have you seen any other clips for the film? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's been one? plenty of stuff coming out oh, yeah? for it, and nothing so far has made me think, oh, this isn't going to be any good, because I think that it doesn't take itself like well i mean i don't know if that's right because i've seen arnold schwarzenegger films that don't take themselves take it doesn't take itself seriously and it still didn't work <laughs> um yeah. with perhaps one exception but this film looks like it has a, a certain amount of self-awareness that that it's it's these two old action heroes and yeah. i don't know it just looks it just looks interesting to me what i can't get over is just that you know both of these guys are into their 60s and uh, Stallone is clearly wearing some like uh, hair dye. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the the color of the black of his hair isn't quite right. I think I, black hair dye is the hardest sell. It is, and and well, and the thing is too, at his age, it doesn't matter whether you're going gray or not. Like some people, they don't go gray, well, but, but, think, but they're but still a bit gray. There's still a bit of graying, you know. Even if somebody's hair is not really going gray, I've never seen a person as old as Stallone that didn't have a graying effect, or their, you know. And his yeah. hair is obviously way too black. You're absolutely right. We're spending way too much time on this topic, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying that, yeah. The the production values look pretty good, and I I I too was also impressed by the the comedy of that particular clip. Yeah. Have you seen any of the other trailers for it? I saw like probably an original teaser trailer, but that's been it. Yeah. I mean, I've liked the uh, stuff. I mean, I know this goes against everything I stand for as a human being to, to, to go see, say it comes out uh, to, uh, to go see a Sylvester Stallone movie. Um, (laughs) well, you haven't even seen the Terminator films yet. I know. I know. You have no no right not to see this film. All right. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, you owe it to yourself plan. I am going to see the Terminator films, though. I am going to see them soon. Sure, you are. Right after you watch RoboCop. October 18th. October 18th. October 18th is when this comes out. So very soon. Mm. Very soon. And it's so. not a Halloween movie. No, and we, we will be watching, We will be reviewing it, uh, me and somebody, or maybe just me by myself. I've done one episode by myself because uh, yeah. you, you guys kind of leave me hanging out to dry sometimes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll, but we'll be talking about it here on this podcast sometimes. We'll soon. be watching Escape Plan while you talk about it. <laughs> okay everything you ever wanted to know about ultron this is not a trailer but i'm putting it in trailer by it anyway because this is my show and i can do whatever i want yeah screw trailers <laughs> who needs it all right so here let me just give you an idea of what we got going on here uh and my internet is here we go now that we know avengers 2 is called age of ultron the obvious question is who is ultron watch out true believers We've got spoilers here. That kind of sounds like chat. I suppose. <laughs> the extinction of humanity begins We're seeing now. Ultron on the Ultron screen Ultron was created by comics legends Roy Thomas and John Buscema, first appearing in 1968 in Avengers number 54 and 55. So, I mean, he's just basically going over the uh, the history of Ultron and what kind of what to expect from the age of Ultron, the Avengers. Dude, I had never heard of this Ultron dude before. Are you a big comic book nerd? Nah. See, Especially when it comes to Marvel. No, yeah. And and I'm not either, whether DC or Marvel. I'm just not a big comic book nerd. Um, I tried to get into comics uh, years ago, and I failed. I, they just weren't that interesting to me. Now, comics as movies are much more interesting to me, as everyone who listens knows. I mean, I'm big into that. Um, and, I and, am impressed by the premise of Ultron, though, they they show in this video here. 
um, there's enough material there to go around. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, from what I can, you know, glean from uh, comic book nerds and from this video and from other places that, you know, uh, Ultron is uh, originally was created by a character named Hank Pym, who is, as I understand, the Ant-Man, who I also know nothing about. Uh, but he's obviously not really in the universe yet, and there's not really any way for him to be involved. And so, but he's going to be in this movie. A- Hank Pym, the no. uh, Ant Man. No, he's not. Oh, he's not. That's my understanding. Is he's got a movie coming up later, but he will not have anything to do with the Avengers. That's already, as far as I know, if, if I'm remembering correctly, that's been stated. Like, no, it's not Hank Pym. Ant Man uh. is not involved in the Avengers. Uh. And you can uh. see why. I mean, uh. like they already have too many, too much of an ensemble cast to deal with as it is. Oh, come on. No, you can I, always add Jar Jar Binks. Joe, I don't know you. you, you I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm clicking hang up on Skype right now. No. <laughs> uh, oh, I knew I'd get rid of you somehow. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, but I found this video interesting just as somebody who who's not familiar with the comics. And because even though this per, this version of Ultron is going to be quite a bit different from everything that we can tell, he's going to be quite a bit different from any Ultron we've seen before. It's helpful to know the history a little bit, I think, as a nerd. I mean, most people probably won't care. And I'm sure that Joss Whedon will tell the story in a way that doesn't matter whether you know or not but i find it interesting so this will be in the show notes a video was i had fun watching it and i recommend it yeah he'll he'll put some joss secret sauce on it and it all tastes good of course it will of yeah. course all right so here's one um that I, I really just posted for fun because uh yeah because you like to you <laughs> like to hurt yourself well i mean here's the thing though it has uh greg grunberg in it and i like him but <laughs> yeah, I no, I'm I'm not. Have you watched many of his other films? Greg Grunberg? Yeah. Actually, I say I like him. I've only ever seen him in Heroes and I liked him in Heroes. Well, did you didn't you see him in Iron Man 3? Iron Man 3? Was he in Iron Man 3? Uh Greg I th- Grunberg. I thought he was the security guy. No, no, no. You're thinking of um uh, he was the director of the first two films. I know who you're talking about. Oh, okay. No, he's not been in the Avengers. You're more, well, you're way Is off. Is he the man. guy from hot fuzz? I don't know. Let me see. Hot. Nope. Oh, Oh, okay. So let me look up the director of Iron Man because my poor brain is failing me. I wish somebody were in the chat room to speak it out. Uh, uh Mark John, John Favreau. Oh, you're thinking of John Favreau. Uh, and, okay. and, and, you know, now that I look at his picture, I can see how at a passing glance you could be confused but they're not the same people okay anyway uh here here's the interesting thing too every time i post anything about uh this film and (laughs) i'm i'm i did say the name once already i'm hesitating to say the name because some people consider the word kind of a bad word Uh, i'm gonna say it okay ready don't don't kill me guys it's big ass spider is the name of the film that is Um, the name yeah yeah. that or it's just big a asterisk asterisk (laughs) spark right i didn't i did because i didn't know who i I would offend and i i do have uh a quite a wide range of audience and and a quite a wide range of listeners some some are very liberal (laughs) if you you were a kid visiting the site and you didn't know what a asterisk asterisk meant you might think it meant something extra good like getting a a plus or something i suppose (laughs) well anyway so um yeah this film I I uh I I don't know I I really just posted it for fun. Um, the, this is what you're watching for Halloween. <laughs> Let me just play a little bit of this trailer. I mean, it's just so ludicrous. It's just so ludicrous. It's completely stupid. It's also in theaters on the 18th of October. So here we go. That sounds familiar. Every generation. 
has a defining moment. <laughs> I'm reading the text that comes on the screen. But none have experienced a big ass spider. <laughs> and now we're seeing a spider on top of a skyscraper and he's tearing it down. <laughs> okay, so you get the idea. This is, it's seriously, it looks so bad. I, I don't think I'm going to see it. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, because they had that viral video thing in, in it right there at the beginning, uh, makes me think that somehow they're definitely trying to appeal to the internet culture. They're not trying to make a film for the cinema. They're making a film that was just too long to put onto YouTube. <laughs> And that's that's what it invokes. Like this is a feature-length college humor film. That's what it makes me think. <laughs> yeah, that maybe could be, and maybe it would. I don't know. Maybe there's something to it. Like maybe it'll be fun. I I don't know. I, I'm. Did you ever see Hot Fuzz and uh, the the other one, the, the the sequel? I guess they might call it with uh, no, about zombies or no? The, the, Sha- it Shaun of like, the Dead. Yeah, it kind of strikes me as being up the alley of those films. I don't know whether I'd like. It, I'm not them saying or it's going to be as good, but it might be. Yeah, maybe so. And and they're on my list to watch just because Fizz has been bugging me to death to watch them. And and you know, I need to as a film reviewer, film, uh, I guess you could say critic, uh, as, as somebody who watches films and talks yep. about them and writes about them, That's I right. probably should you know watch them uh-huh. and, and stuff. So you buttered your bread. Now you got to sleep in it. Are you mixing your metaphors? Uh, no, no, no. I'm just quoting Jiminy Cricket. You know, I've never, I've never heard Jiminy Cricket say that. You buttered your bread, and now you have to sleep in it. You don't sleep in buttered bread. I don't Dude, get that. Pinocchio, Disney classics. Like you've watched everything, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've watched it, but I don't remember that. You know, when he was really mad, and he was uh, walking, he was storming out, and he, he was just, you know, pity partying himself, and he got into a tizzy, and he was, you know, mad at Pinocchio, and he. Uh-huh. I just don't like, remember you, that. You know, you buttered your bread, not sleep in it. He just shot, he shouted it at him. I mean, the expression is you made your bed, now you must lie in it. (laughs) Well, Jiminy Cricket said it, man. Okay. All right. Well, let's move away from this terrible, awful-looking movie and talk about one that actually looks really good. And uh, here's a clip. When the aliens first invaded, they nearly destroyed us. We need minds like yours, Ender. You will be the one to save mankind. So I'm really liking the look of this film. I, I don't know anything about the book series that it's based on, but it's looking really good to me. Now, don't you listen to audiobooks or something like that? I do. Why don't you get into Ender's Game? You got prob- to get familiar with this. I probably will if I if I can. I, I've just finished up the, going through the Harry Potter series again. Oh, okay. And I've been doing that for many months. Oh. So, uh, how, 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 how does that feel? Uh, good. This is like the fourth time I've been through that series. I love it so oh, much. Wow. Huh. <laughs> uh, and uh, it gets better every time. Audiobooks are nice. I love audiobooks. And I love Jim Dale. And so that's the thing. Like, I can't, I, it's hard to listen to an audiobook that wasn't read by Jim Dale. Anyway, we're kind of getting derailed from Ender's Game. Uh, no, 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 no. You just need to open up a new section of your show called Audiobook Bite. <laughs> if you say so. All right. So um, this is just a TV spot. It's only 30 seconds long, but it gives us a look at some things we haven't seen yet. And obviously they've went a little more kind of that dystopian sci-fi kind of, you know, that, 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 that weird sound, you know, kind of sci-fi sound. I mean, you hadn't gotten any of that from previous trailers yet. So I don't know how realistic that is to the actual tone of the film, but it's, I don't know. I, I really like the look of this film. You know, I'm starting to tell the trailers by the people who cut the trailers together 
Mm. Like the way in which it has those really deep, bassy, bombastic bomb yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> it's like there must be one guy where that's his specialty. He cuts together trailers <laughs> that use the exact same characteristics and did they you, get to him when they want to do that. Did you see the honest trailer for Elysium? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. And he does he does that thing where he's, you know, cause cause it they these trailers like this, and Elysium was a trailer like this. It will it'll cut to something as the trailer's ramping up and as it's getting really intense, and it'll go it'll cut to something and you hear the screaming and then it like cuts to black and goes bong, you know, yeah. and then it and, and so <laughs> and then so in the honest trailers the guy's saying, prepare bong, for bong, boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was pretty good <laughs> May, or maybe they just got the guys from honest trailers to make this one for them maybe so maybe so i don't know i'm liking the look of ender's game though i'm i'm definitely going to uh hope that i'm not disappointed when i go to see this hmm. and when is that coming out november or something i already closed the window oh, okay well that's a good sign next, uh, it's it's probably gonna win an oscar or two you know yeah, we're in such a slump right now it's and so i'm totally terrible. kidding about that november 1st I don't know. It won't be winning any Oscars, but yeah, it's a sci-fi. It's a sci-fi. I, I, Sci-fis don't. don't win Oscars. They just don't. No, which they is do a, in the future, but they don't do it here. <laughs> All right, one more, th- one more trailer, and uh, we've really we've had some good conversation though, so I'm not going to complain about it. But oh, we've really okay. dragged this segment out. This is going to lead in though to uh, to a topic that uh, we'll talk about. This is the Agents oh, of yeah. Shield episode two trailer. So we've been called in to investigate in 084. We all know what that means. It means we don't know what that means. This season, (laughs) to investigate the strange and the unknown, five unlikely experts... We just can't seem to understand each other. ...must become... (laughs) So work it out. ...the ultimate team. Pretty kick-ass. And trust us, you won't want to miss the very end of every episode. All right, so that is from the uh, trailer for episode two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I... What is this show again? You don't know what the show is? Uh, Dude, uh, it's like they have no marketing or something. Are you kidding? You, you cannot swing a dead cat. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Okay. Man. <laughs> I was going to say. All over the place. I'm seriously <laughs> joking. I was wow. going to say, you cannot, you cannot swing a dead cat in any direction and not hit, <laughs> know. you know. Um, no, I mean, but, but well, you know what? Who's making this series again? Now, Fizz, Fizz was not, and he, he, I keep mentioning Fizz. He's been on the show before. If you don't know who he is, go back and find him in the archives. Uh, and he'll be on the show again soon, very soon. Um, so, but he's been, he, he said it didn't quite live up to the hype of what he would have wanted or even the hype that has been surrounding it. I, I disagree. I thought the show was an excellent show. Very Joss Whedon-y. I, I, you know, it is a little different from, uh, and I'm kind of moving on from the trailer into the topic that we're talking about now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so it is a little different from what I've seen from Joss Whedon before, and I suspect that some of that is the big studio. You know, they've got their hands in the pudding on well, this. Our friend Clark was saying how basically Joss's name is like, only tied to this in name like he's not really doing much that is incorrect by the way that is oh, really? not true he is he's pretty involved in the show and he directed the first episode and he huh. he has uh he is helping to shape the scripts and things so he is the showrunner. so that don't let anybody tell you don't let clark tell you i like clark he's a good guy but he he is incorrect on that oh you just can't trust these guys yeah you can't these critics but no, because I, I mean, I, I was worried about that too, but I've been watching carefully the goings on with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because, because you know, sometimes like when Jerry Bruckheimer slaps his name on something, you know, it's just, you know, he didn't have anything to do with it. And, uh, same, same goes for, um, uh, what was that show that was uh, co-created by J.J. Abrams and Eric Kripke that, uh, 
coming back on now. In fact, I think it's airing tonight, or maybe it was yesterday. I don't remember. Uh, Revolution. Um, really? But you know that J.J. Abrams doesn't have anything to do with that hardly. You know, he's just not – he's too busy. You know, so Eric Kripke is kind of helming that one. But in this case, though, Joss Whedon is very involved even in the day-to-day. I mean, in the cast have talked about Joss Whedon coming on set and, and uh, you know, looking over the scripts and, and how he's doing even some writing. And he's written a couple of the scripts. He directed the first episode. So he's very involved. It won't be – he won't quite have the involvement that he did with his earlier shows when he wasn't, you know, a big feature filmmaker. But he'll be there, and he is there shaping the Marvel Universe. So – very exciting. Um, I loved. I mean, okay. So I really. No, you got to tell me all about the show though, because I I didn't see episode one. Okay, well, it's on Hulu. Go watch it. Oh, really? Yeah. Don't not I right got now. Hulu on my TV. Not not right now. But when we're done, go. You oh, should okay. go watch it tonight. Okay. Um, not right now. Okay, I'll make a note of that. So so one of the one of the things that I love about Joss Whedon shows is the dialogue. Um, ha, ha, you've watched Buffy and stuff, right? No, I I, I you know I'm very familiar with what Buffy is. I never saw it. I you watched never Dollhouse. Saw it? You never saw Dollhouse. Yes, I saw a couple episodes. Um, so, um, so okay. So this is just a classic uh, example of dialogue from uh, from Buffy. Uh, this is when Buffy uh, comes to a uh, a mausoleum where uh, Darla, a vampire, is at. And uh, Buffy breaks in and she goes, "Well, this is nice. It's a little bit bare, but a dash of paint, a few throw pillows, call it home." And Darla says, <laughs> "Who are you?" And Buffy says. You mean there's actually someone in this town who doesn't know already? Whew, that's a relief. I'm telling you, have a, having having a secret identity in this town is a job of work. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so that's that's just, I mean, and that's just a sampling of the kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, that's very weedy in this. Yes, yes. It, it, it's very self-aware, very, um, uh, uh, very, how should you say, like uh, even self-deprecating at times. Um, and that's that's one of the things that I really love about Joss Whedon is he really he he really when he is at the helm of a show the show really knows its place it knows what it can and can't do it knows what it can get away with um, one of the things I wrote in the article about this episode uh, and about Joss Whedon in general is that his shows tend to dance on that dreaded shark's nose <laughs> <laughs> which is a really good place to be believe it or not you know what I'm talking about right J- jumping the shark. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. instead of jumping the shark, he just tends to tap dance on the nose of the shark. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, yeah, I, I loved it a lot. Um, it had a lot of a lot of that same. Did stuff. it live up to your expectations? Though that's the key. Yeah, like absolutely. It, you had a lot of expectations for this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've only seen the first episode, and there's a lot. I more mean, like you've read all the comic books, and then now going into the show, no, it had. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't read any comics. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, it, yeah, it's a very, we- it, the first episode certainly was very weedy in a lot of ways. Um, mm. there was that, 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 that line we, we saw most, mostly in the trailers and in the promo pieces where, uh, you know, Agent Ward says, I happen to know for a fact that Agent, that Agent Coulson is dead. And then Agent Coulson walks, you know, walks around from the dark corner yeah. and he says, welcome <laughs> to level seven. So he, he does, in the show, what happens is he does that. He, he says, I'm level six clearance. I know that Coulson is dead. And Coulson walks around the corner and he says, welcome to level seven. And then he stands over a second. He said, sorry, I couldn't help it. That corner was really dark. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, definitely. I, I loved it a lot. Well, good. Okay, cool. I'm going to look it up then. Yeah, definitely. I'd catch it on Hulu. It's on Hulu. That's how I watched it. Uh, that's because I don't have a cable uh, subscription. So uh, they, they, they have to do something to explain why they'll never show Nick Fury. I think they will at some point show Nick Fury. Oh, do you? And we, we had a cameo from uh, Agent Hill, but she, she is already a TV star. Like she's a, like, a, I guess she's a big thing in How I Met Your Mother. I've never seen the show, but 
Uh, every episode I've seen. Co- every episode, yeah, she's a big thing. Kobe, uh, Kobe th- Smolts, something. Uh, he's, yeah, Kobe whatever. Smolders. So, she's Canadian. Is she? Okay, who cares? In uh, in on TV. Oh, <laughs> okay. What is how I met your mother about? I don't even know. It's weird. Uh, it, dude, the name is pretty self-explanatory. I guess for it's, you. Oh, okay. It's, a, it's, it's know, so the guy is just it's like it, it's a sitcom, but it's a modern day sitcom. It's not like the '90s sitcoms, and so, it's about you know a bunch of friends, and uh, there is a father in the future during the entire series that this is the conceit of the show. He is telling his teenage son and daughter for the first time how he met their mother. But and this sustains he, over multiple episodes. I don't. It's get hilarious. It. Oh, it's hilarious. It's hilarious, man. Because that's the whole point. Like it's like this dad cannot stop telling a yarn, and he gets his information mixed up, and he narrates every episode. And you usually see the son and daughter sitting on the couch at the beginning and the end of the shows, as though they're listening to him, and they're getting more and more bored and tired of listening to his story over the entire, you know, like eight seasons. Yeah, interesting. Oh, that's interesting. So. <laughs> Bob Saget is the narrator. Oh, for two episodes. Never mind. He's some sort of narrator for two episodes. Okay, never mind. Uh, the show also has Jason Siegel, uh, Kobe Smulders, Neil Patrick Harrison. Oh, and it has Allison Hannigan. She was Willow and Buffy. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right, well, let's talk about Pixar a little bit more. Uh, we talked about the trailer for uh, Toy Story of Terror, but... There's something interesting that's happening in the Pixar world. Their their release dates have shifted. There will be no Pixar film in 2014. What do you make of this? I can live with it. They've gone a few other years where they skipped, didn't they? Earlier on, where like they had um, a Bug's Life the year right after Toy Story, but then they skipped a year or something like that. I don't know. I wasn't following this stuff very I see, closely. I seem to recall during their first five years, or sorry, during their first six films, they had two years that they skipped. And I'm totally good with that because it it seems to me that when you're constantly producing, you don't have enough time to really uh, nurture the organization and to reestablish yourself, get some new blood into the team and think creatively and spark new juices. Like you got, you got to nurture yourself rather than just nurturing the films all the time. Sure. So I think it's, I think it's a healthy thing. I think that more studios would benefit. Heck yeah. Hugely. If they would just take a year off of trying to put something out, yeah, it's a good point. Rather focus more on the quality of their crew and you know what they, what they're capable of. Yeah, no, totally. And and here's the thing: like I, I think I said that uh, if they need a little bit more time to make a good film, to, to instead of turning out half baked ones, I'm way okay with that. And you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of people didn't like Brave, for instance. And would that mm. film have been better if they had done the same thing and pushed it off and said, you know what, we're going to come back and we're going to recraft the story and we're going to figure out how to make it a better film? I haven't seen Brave. It's the only Pixar film I think I've not seen. Um, just I just can't muster up the give a care to go see it because I've heard such bad things about it. Uh, I know I can get it on the Apple TV now, so I probably yeah. It's very, it's very much like a a Disney just relabeled it to Pixar because they didn't want to take the credit for it or something. That's what it feels like, (laughs) I guess. So yeah, I mean, yeah. If 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 this is what it takes for Pixar to turn out a good film, I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, So there will uh, okay. So the the article reads: There will be no new Pixar film in 2014. The highly decorated computer animation company, which is owned by Disney, has pushed the release of The Good Dinosaur to 2014. 
June 2014, uh, from, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm confusing my words here, from June 2014 to November 25th, 2015. So that's even, that's more than a year. Uh, but wait, wasn't Finding Dory scheduled for that date? Well, it was, but now the underwater sequel will open on June 17th, 2016. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm okay with this. If that's what if that's what it takes for them to make good movies, then that's good enough for them. So, yeah, I'm good with it. Yeah. So we should talk a little bit about uh, now. You're the Star Wars fan around here. Uh huh. We should talk a little bit about Star Wars Episode Seven. And the news here is that Saoirse Ronan is up possibly for a role in Episode Seven. And I know that you happen to like Saoirse Ronan as an actress, right? Uh, oh yes, I, I've been impressed you, with her on multiple occasions you've got a bit of a crush on her or something I think. uh maybe a wee bit <laughs> I, I i'd like to be friends in real life okay uh well according she, to and, and it's not it, it, let me explain that like literally <laughs> she seems a hard like time <laughs> she seems well i mean i mean for the record i i don't mind talking about this i think that this is a point well to be made that you know there's not that many you know how it is you observe some actors and you just feel neutral towards them. Uh-huh. There are those that you just loathe. And then there's those you like for eye candy reasons. There's those that really entertain you. And then there are those that actually seem to be very substantive and not, not really given the parts that they're due. And I think that she's one of those people who clearly has so much more talent than other people these days. And she's just not been given the opportunity to fulfill it. Yeah. So, um, you, you, so what you're saying, I'm trying to look up an actor's name because I've forgotten it. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is there's actors like Alec Baldwin who you just loathe and detest. Uh, I actually feel more neutral towards him. Really? On in film, in real life, I can't stand him. That's what but I. In, that's what I film. meant as a, as a real person. Okay. So you were talking about more in the film. Okay. Whatever. Right. All right, well, the, the rumor is that Saoirse Ronan has read for a role in Episode 7. Uh, has read for, of course, is a long way from finalized a deal for, but uh, it's according, this is according to Angie Han at Slash Film. But, but at this point, there's really no guessing what kind of role she could possibly be. She could be a, you know, a stormtrooper, for Jedi. all we know. Jedi. You want her to be a Jedi? I don't know. She's, she's a Sith. Oh, Lord, no. Please don't. <laughs> Uh, uh, don't turn that wonderful young girl into the the bad guy, please. <laughs> I, she doesn't need to die. The w- and what they're going to do is they're going to put the red and black makeup with the kind of the horns around the skull, like you know. So she'll be the same species that Darth she'll Maul be the, was. Yeah, she could be the daughter of Darth Maul. Exactly, per- precisely. Hmm. No. Okay. No, no, not buying it. All right. No. Well, that's the deal. I mean, there's, there's, there's really nothing else going on here. Uh, obviously, some other names that have been up for roles in Star Wars Episode Seven was uh, Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, Cumberbatch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cumberbatch. Uh, uh, yeah. And so, uh, and, and the interesting thing about him uh, is that uh, J.J. was asked directly about Benedict Cumberbatch and would he, is there any truth in the rumor that he would be in Star Wars Episode Seven? And J.J. goes, hmm, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, I really like him. <laughs> which wasn't which wasn't a denial yeah that's to tease oh yeah so i think it's i it's personally to me that says that that's a, that he's he's tied he's in the movie in some capacity you know what's he, really funny about this too this is this is the funny part because it just gets weirder and weirder how jj is so closely connected to, to these two sci-fi franchises isn't it weird now, it is it is getting just a little bit too much. Like, I don't mind it so long as he produces really good films. 
and as much as I find there to be flaws with his films in Star Trek, mm-hmm. I still really enjoy them. I, I think that they're, they're good, fun entertainment. Yeah. And the thing is, if Benedict were to be in the Star, the Star Wars film with, I think, a growing possibility of playing the part of Grand Admiral Thrawn, I think there is a growing possibility there. Not so, saying so would, what you're saying is you think that they will there, there will be some resemblance to the book canon in that I no I, I don't think necessarily that they'll have to be consistent with the books that were never made into film. I just think that there's a possibility that they will borrow a lot of inspiration from those books. Okay. And so they'll find those things that were most appealing to the fans to the Star Wars expanded universe fans and try to, you know, faithfully adapt them to a new story. And so there is a good possibility that someone like Benedict Cumberbatch could be this lingering general who's taken over the remnants of the empire. He has moved over into a section of the galaxy that he, he maintains the empire in yet they're defeated in other parts of the galaxy that are now run by a new Republic with Luke and Leia. And maybe his objective is to overthrow the new Republic, just like it was in the books with Grand Admiral Thrawn. Mm. And it doesn't have to be faithful to the books to do that much of it. That would be a good tip of the hat to what they did in the books. And I could totally see them doing that. They may even give him the name Grand Admiral Thrawn and give him blue skin. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch at blue skin, that'd be weird. Well, well, while we're talking about Star Wars stuff, uh, Peter Mayhew would very much like to play Chewbacca again. He's had some health issues. Uh, you know, he's a kind of a giant of a man, and he's had some joint problems, and he's been having surgery. And I, the the rumors have been that he's that he that they're recasting Chewbacca just because they assumed he'd be unavailable. But he said no, he wants to be in the film. So oh. that that would be interesting. And, and well, and yeah, by now Chewbacca's got to be pushing like three hundred. So he's probably a retired, you know, Wookie. He's probably just like in a wheelchair. Well, now what makes you say he's pushing three hundred? Do you have? Does this how long uh, Wookies live or something? Um, I just remember hearing that uh, during the original trilogy, the four, five, and six, that Chewie at that time was already well over two hundred years old. Mm. So he could be pushing, you know, his, you know, the end of his life. I don't know. Could be. Could be. Uh, well, yeah, the, the uh, real-life actor, uh, Peter Mayhew, is uh, 69, and he's been having some serious health issues. So they they were trying to recast the role of Chewbacca, and, as, as far as we understand. I mean, most of this is conjecture, although some of this is pretty solid, this stuff is. But, but he said – he's come right out and says, I intend to pursue the role of Chewbacca for Episode 7. So I say let the guy have it. I mean, there is no other Chewie. Yeah, and, and it's not like Chewie has to do all that much, and they already created him a double for the prequel, and so if they need him to do any action shots, there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and really, Chewie is really just a guy in a costume, and then he could provide the voice. You know, he could he could be doing the growl. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know how they made the growl, but I don't think he had anything to do with it. But Oh, yeah, he did. It was totally his voice. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that, that was all authentic. Uh, interesting. Some guy could do that with his throat. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, the thing with Chewie is that anybody can almost anybody that's tall enough can play that role just because, you know, he, he's under a lot of, you know, makeup and and, and uh, props and stuff. But I don't know. You know, that's what the people say. But I, I think that you got to give him a lot of credit. Him and R2-D2, there's something else. I agree. Well, I was going to say there's a certain like kind of a and you can picture it as soon as as soon as you think about Chewie, you can picture that kind of lopsided lope thing that he does. And uh-huh. and uh, yeah, I mean, that's totally Peter Mayhew. So, yeah, well. Well, and the reason I even bring up R2-D2, I'm not being, well, in a way I'm being facetious, but in in another way, I'm actually not. No, no, I agree. I agree. Because if you go back to the prequels, so much of R2-D2 was produced with CG, and he does not sell the amount of personality that R2-D2 had in 4, 5, and 6 when there was a guy, a midget, inside of the unit that was on the set. That guy was able to invoke a lot more personality, in my opinion. Yeah, but but you know, R two could fly though in the prequels. That's just uh, so you, much cooler, got, Joe. Okay, yeah, yeah, you got me beat there. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm losing it here. I'm, it, it, it's it's late, and I'm I, I'm past my bedtime. Okay. Well, one more uh, item of interest before we move on to our primary review, and that is that Atlas Shrugged Part Three is getting a Kickstarter campaign from the uh, producers. Mm. Uh, I don't know about this man. No, I I know about it, and I don't want it. <laughs> Here's the thing: like, I agree with uh, in general in a lot of ways with the principles. You know, I mean, obviously, Ayn Rand is very uh, libertarian. Atlas Shrugged is a very kind of libertarian uh, viewpoint, and in a lot of ways, I am a very much a libertarian. I don't want this film because here's the thing: like, this film is not being made because of its artistic qualities or because it's being made because some people got together and said we need some good libertarian films. Let's make this one, and they're just not good. And you know, in completely recasting the film for the second go around like i don't care that's just messed up i i and 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 are they going to do that again i would assume so because i don't assume they don't have the actors and actresses locked in for this third installment i'm not interested in this at all it is an interesting hodgepodge because the 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 first two installments work well enough that if you can get over the fact that the cast is entirely different which you can't but anyway yeah then you could see how it fits together I'm just annoyed that part two had felt the need to review so much of what they did in part one, that so much of it was a repeat that I felt like you spent a lot of time in review for that film. Mm, I don't remember Whereas it, and there wasn't as much progress uh, as I would have wanted for the two hour long film. Now I will say the second film was a far better film than the first one. In production values wise, I, I very much agree. Well, even I'm not sure about the cast. I'm not sure about the no, cast though. Excuse me. The the two primary characters were far better actors. I disagree. I don't. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I don't agree with you. I, I don't have any. I don't have any say here. I'm sorry. Okay. Who is John Galt? I, I don't know who is John Galt, man. I, I don't even care anymore. He's he's probably the founder of Kickstarter. That's why this film is being made. <laughs> well, they're already up to over half of their you know pledge goal. Well, neither. This is the thing, though. Neither of these two films, the first two films, have made them any money. As far as I know, they're they no, have no. cost money. Sure. Yeah. I mean, th- that's the thing. They're only asking for two hundred and fifty thousand, and they're over a hundred and fifty thousand in pledges right now. They've got twenty six days to go. Yeah. And t- yeah, t- t- uh, that's it. It doesn't sound like they're asking near for nearly enough for a film. <laughs> Yeah. No, and they've even said like the, the the point is just to help a little bit, not to really raise the money. Um, the campaign is this is uh, 
Uh, I guess that was further. I'd have to go further in for that. But that's basically what they said is we're not trying to make the money here in order for for the entire production budget. We're just trying to offset the cost a little bit. Just trying to help. So that I mean, you know, fine. And I, I think there's a little bit of an aspect of raising awareness. Like a Kickstarter campaign is a cool thing to do, and so and it helps to raise awareness. And so that's what they're doing. Mm. Well, it'll be there for the people who are devout Iron Ren fans, and I think that that's what this is about at this point. They're not trying to make a film for anybody and everybody. They're really doing this for the lovers of this series, this yeah. this original novel. Yeah, and you know, I, I have probably just as many problems with Anne Rand as I as I do likes about her things, you know. And obviously, she was an atheist, and I'm not, but you know, and I think there are some worldview issues there, even though there. Well, was she's not an atheist now. <laughs> no, <laughs> of course not. Uh, well, anyway, that's that's the deal. A- Atlas Shrugged Part Three. Not interested. Don't mm. want it. Don't care. <sighs> Shall we talk about prisoners? Yes, let's let's please. I was almost about to fall asleep when you brought up Atlas Shrugged. Sorry. Uh, well, that's because you're just uh, you know when when people are just shrugging on on the screen about atlases. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> For the third time. Uh, all right. So prisoners. Yeah, prisoners. It was in theaters on September the twentieth. Had a budget of forty six million. It made twenty point eight million over the opening weekend and is up to twenty seven point four million worldwide. So that's got a little bit of a gap there to go. Yeah, I have a good feeling that they're not going to make it. Yeah, well, here's the thing, because it's not the type of film that, that you go and see again. I probably will never see this film again, even though I enjoyed it. The one way that this film could make it, though, is that right now that we are in a uh, a very slow time in the theaters with very few releases, mm. they stand the chance of being around a few more weeks than uh, you know other films are. Maybe, but it's about to encounter what I think is going to be a pretty decent box office earner, which is... Uh, Rush. Mm, okay. Well, and the other one that's coming out is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which I'm not interested in, but I, I feel like it may uh, it may do some Yeah, damage. and the thing, too, is that this film feels like it was made for Halloween season, and it feels like it just came out a few weeks too early for that, that moment. I guess. I didn't feel like it was that much of a Halloween film, but maybe... Right. Maybe. Well, I mean, like... The, There's the some story, aspect to that, I guess. For, so, you know, people, the, the story takes place basically the, from Thanksgiving Day on into the month of December. And though it takes, yeah, place during that time frame, it actually has very little to do with any recognition of holidays. But for what it's worth, I understand why they came out with a film now. Because as a thriller... And considering its themes, it's the kind of film that I understand a lot of people would rather see in the spirit of Halloween. Yeah. So. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Um, so on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it says. Rotten. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, that was weird. <laughs> uh, that, that is a funny word to me. Uh, no one actually pronounces it the way it's you know written. Rotten. Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. Whatever. Rotten. Okay, so um, uh, the critical acclaim is that haunting, suspenseful, and masterfully acted, Prisoners has an emotional complexity and a sense of dread that makes for absorbing, uh, absorbing and disturbing viewing. I very much agree to that. That's a yeah. that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, directed by Dennis Villeneuve, who I've, <laughs> never, I've never heard of him. Have you heard of him? No, and I may never again. Written by Aaron. Guzikowski? Guzikowski. Yes, Joe, you, you really are. Uh, you've been drinking over there or what? <laughs> no, I'm, all I have here is fizzy water. Okay. So it stars uh, 
the Wolverine, uh, Hugh Jackman, yeah. uh, who plays Keller Dover, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, detective, who's Detective Logie, Viola Davis, uh, M- Maria Bello, Terrence Howard, Melissa Leo, and Paul Dano. Music by Johan Johansson. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this story, Jeff? Uh, yeah, so um, this is what they're saying over there at uh, Warner Brothers. This is how they describe their story. This is really just the nutshell of Act 1. How far would you go to protect your family? Keller Dover, played by Wolverine, they didn't say that, I did, is facing every parent's worst nightmare. His six-year-old daughter, Anna, is missing together with her friend, Joy, and as minutes turn into hours, panic sets in. The only lead is a dilapidated RV that was earlier seen parked in their street. Heading into the investigation, Detective Loki, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, arrests its driver, Alex Jones. And uh, who played Alex Jones? Yeah, uh, uh, that would be Paul Dano. Thank you. Good actor. He's good at being creepy. And uh, now, so he arrests Alex Jones, but it, he lacks any evidence, and so it forces his release. As the police pursue multiple leads and pressure mounts, knowing his child's life is at stake, the frantic Dover decides that he's got to take matters into his own hands. But just how far is he willing to go as a desperate father to protect his family? That is the question. Mm-hmm. And that is what this film explores, TJ. Yeah, absolutely. And I was impressed because this is actually somewhat of the antithesis to the character of Wolverine. And... um. The thing I notice about Hugh Jackman is that he plays a lot of very uh, powerful men, leader types, and they're not all good guys, and they're not all the same way. They're not all very outdoorsy, rugged, you know, but a lot of them are these days. And what this one does is it does one thing rather consistently. I think that there is an undercurrent in Hugh's career that he likes to do complex male characters that have that have daddy issues that either cannot get over like the lack of a patriarch in their life or they're trying to be a good patriarch in their life or something there's like a there's always a, always a lesson to his character that somehow ties back into the family and the role of the man in the in the family yeah it's interesting interesting and, observation and like another side note, like I think it's one of the reasons why he uh, wanted to play in that film about, um, you know, the, 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 what was it called? The boxing robots. And I don't, I don't remember the name of it. It was like supercut or something, you know, undercut, you know, something like that. And he plays a father who's trying to, you know, do a job and make money off of these uh, boxing robots. But the majority of the film actually has to do with a father and son relationship. And he's the father and that's just the way of him. And I think he, he, he does that kind of role very well. And, uh, and what's cool about this is I think Hugh Jackman in real life is enough of a family man that he takes on these kinds of roles because he's trying to, he's trying to support films that have a message that he agrees with. Mm-hmm. And I think he does this because knowing what I know of him as a family man, he is trying to set an example positive for his own kids. So I think the motivation behind this film for Hugh is, Oh, okay, this is something I, I actually understand. And I don't want my kids thinking that I'm okay 
with this sort of excessive violent heroism of, you know, Wolverine. I don't want them, th- you know, thinking that that is purely okay and that's all that daddy did and dad endorses that, you know. Okay, so so how does that jive with this violent man in this movie? Well, the point is is that the message of this of this film with that character, this this father named Keller Dover that Hugh plays is that what Keller Dover does is not cool. It is not acceptable. He is a protagonist gone awry. He's he's completely gone astray. And, and that's not to say you don't feel very heavily for exactly. him. Exactly. I'm not saying that, yeah, you're not torn up about it. it it's a very well-told you know, told story so that you can still relate to him and you feel sorry for the conclusion of his character. Um. And so I think that it, it makes the the moral to the story that much better that Hugh was able to make you empathize with him plenty in spite of the fact that he does some really heinous things in the film. Yeah, un- unacceptable, unforgivable things. Yeah, and, and you, you kind of understand why he does it. But unlike the film The Call, TJ, which we talked about earlier. We did earlier this year. Yeah, you know, we were complaining about The, the Call because – it was a story about a you know a couple of women that were um, fighting for their lives against a serial killer, and what they decided to do was to take the law into their own hands and kill the serial killer in not just a very simple, clean cut way, but they were going to make him pay for what he had done. Yeah, and, and they that wanted was him to agonize, and it was constructed in a way that made that seem like it was the good and logical thing to do. It was the logical. Correct conclusion to do to that, that of course well you would you would take the law into your own hands and you would make that serial killer pay for his actions that was right. the way the call was constructed to and it, it was just such a I, I just had such a problem with that which is not the case here right exactly this film quite effectively it is it is true to essentially a proper ethical view no no matter how mo- how much you you may feel that you're right. No matter how much you know you're in the right, that you are a victim of a crime, and no matter how much you, you feel hopeless, like you need to do something because you've let down your family, you, there's just some things you cannot do. And he, he didn't just turn on his back on his family. He turned his back on God because the character th- throughout the film is praying in a, 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 like a good Catholic would. And what he's, th- what he's trying to do is be faithful but then he stumbles over the Lord's prayer when it says, and, you know, and forgive us our trespasses as, as we, we forgive, forgive those. those. Exactly. Yes. And he can't, he can't even get it out of his mouth because he realizes I am not doing that anymore. I have not forgiven anybody for kidnapping my daughter. I, I, I want to take them down. I want them to pay for this. Right. And, right. He, and, and, and even, that's, that's really what it became too, is that he, he was, he was, it's ostensibly what he told himself and what he told those few people who knew what he was doing is that he was doing it to get the information, but it really became a, a, a trip of revenge for him. Like, because mm-hmm. he perceived that this man had, had done him a wrong, even though it was not provable, he had no proof. And so beating him to a bloody pulp and then, you know, locking him in a dark room in a hot, where he could turn on the hot shower water uh, for on him and, and, and torture him was a way for him to get revenge. Right. He even said that this guy who he believed had kidnapped his daughter, he said he's not even a man anymore. You know, this guy is not a human being. 
we can do whatever we want to him now. Right. He said that in the film. And I was like, yeah, you just lost your entire argument. <laughs> you're, you're clearly the villain as much as anyone else here. Yeah, and I did find the religious overtones of this film very interesting. I mean, it didn't shy away from it at all, and didn't even necessarily t- tell a story. Like so much, so so oftentimes in films, if there's a religious message, it's that oh, religion's stupid. Well, this, right, that wasn't right. the case here. I mean, it was really just saying, you know what, this guy he's kind of straight off the off the track, and and that's not good. Right. So. And for these reasons, TJ, I want to get back to more of the meat and potatoes of the story, but uh. For the, these reasons, I think that this is a great uh, film that I want to review with the other guys, Eric and Michael, on movieology, because I think we can explore the intricacies of the symbology a bit more. Um, because there's a lot of complexities. Um, there seems to be some uh, cult ties as well. Sure. And there's a mixed bag of um, the man's, you know, depravity, because the good guys are willing to do anything the bad guys do. And that brings them down. That's what, that's every time they try to outdo the bad guys by doing, fighting fire with fire, they set themselves back big time. Yeah, and which which kind of puts me in mind since I've been I just recently listened to uh, book seven, uh, the Deathly Hallows of of Harry Potter. Um, it just kind of puts me in mind too of how as the as the going was getting tough and people were dropping left and right, and Harry, you know, as he's trying to escape and and leave his uh, home that he's lived in for all his life and and go into hiding, uh, and as as uh, people are helping him do that, you know, the, the Death Eaters are. Uh, find him, you know, and they're on the brooms and, and he sees that one of them is just, you know, Stan Shunpike, who's under the Imperius curse. He's not actually acting of his own accord. And so he stuns him or, or he tries to disarm him instead of stunning him or something or killing him. Well, and he gets a little bit of flack for that, but he says, you know, I'm not going to, you know, blast people out of my way just because they're there. That's, that's for Lord Voldemort to do. And it's the same kind of thing, right? It's, it's, you know, you don't stoop to the same level. What what differentiates you from the bad guys? Right, and, and that line gets lost for Hugh Jackman, and 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 that's portrayed as a really bad thing. I noticed too that several times it sounded like they even his his first name of the character that he plays is Keller, and it sounded like they were calling him Killer. Uh, several times. I, guess. I mean, I know it was like a slur. It's sort of like a very subtle thing that I think you're reading into been the, intentional, but it certainly that's what they sounded like they called him. I think you're reading into it a little bit there. Mm. I, I know it's a subtle thing, okay. but I, I think that, that that is intentional. I just want to know. Really, I just want to know two things, Joe. Two things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two things that I want to know. One: How come the Wolverine never got his claws out? That would have solved so many problems. Yeah, and, and he should have ripped off his shirt, and you know he would have called in the Justice League, and <laughs> and they would have gone all badass on him with yeah. their spiders. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> and bring in the big spiders. Yes. Uh, and then secondly, what happened to Loki? I mean, last time I saw Loki, he had this big old I, grin on his I face, know. So, <laughs> and he was trying to tear up the Avengers. It was so jarring when they in the movie, people. <laughs> okay, this is just wrong. Everybody knows who Loki is by now. Loki is Thor's brother. Exactly. And he has been in multiple Marvel films. He is a god. He wears some, you know, green clothes. He's got long, greasy hair, pale complexion, and he's not even remotely human, but he looks like it. And that's Loki. But in this movie, (laughs) the detective played by Jake Gyllenhaal 
just a totally random guy, a normal guy that looks like Jake Gyllenhaal is identified as Detective Loki. Yeah, like you couldn't pay me enough money to call one of my characters in my film Loki at this time. Because why, why would exactly. you do that? Exactly. I mean, like the name going back to symbology again, it actually has some symbology to it. And I think that that was probably deliberately so. But again, it's something that's completely lost on most of the audience. Most people don't know the meaning of the name Loki. And so the, the, it's funny. It, was, it, it seems completely wasted because what you actually just did is create a huge distraction for anybody who understands. Yeah, it's like you might as well have called the guy Darth Vader. Uh, I mean, it's just you don't do that. Yeah, it was a little weird. So, so that's that's. There's three ties to the Marvel universe here. There's Hugh Jackman, who is the Wolverine, which is a Marvel uh, comic property. Uh, there's Terrence Howard, who uh, was in Iron Man one, uh, replaced later by a different actor, but he was in Iron, the first Iron Man film. And then you got Loki. So, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. Well, um, you want to tell me about something you like in the film? I really love the cinematography in this film. It was oh, beautiful cinematography. You're absolutely right. But why? Tell me why. Uh, this, the, people, the cinematography in this film stands out for a couple of reasons that I can think of. Well, well okay, so the cinematographer, I'm, I'm trying to think of his name. You put me on the spot here now. Um, but he's known for, for his good work. And I didn't realize we'll it was him. him. I, I didn't realize it was him until after the fact, though. Uh, so it's not just like, oh, I know this is going to be good cinematography because, uh, hey, I went into it knowing that it was so-and-so. I'm looking. I'm looking it up right now. But uh, he's known for his good cinematography. Just uh, Roger Deakins. There you go. Uh, Roger Deakins was a cinematographer, and I didn't realize that at first. Uh, he he did uh, Skyfall, which has really whatever else you can say about the film has really good cinematography. Beautiful. I mean, he just makes really great choices, angles, and and the uh, lighting, and just everything that he does. Uh, he got some really interesting shots with the you know the rain. It was a very kind of a rainy you know. Cl- uh, overcast film. I mean, kind of matched the mood of what was always going on, but, and he got some really interesting shots to the window with the water and just, I mean, Oh, it was just beautiful. Right. And what I especially appreciated about what he did behind the camera was that it was just slow paced. It was easy going. He didn't feel the need to do a lot of choppy cuts from, well, let's look at this guy's face up close. Whoa, what has he got in between his teeth? Whoa, what is that guy doing over there in the background? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's change another angle. Uh, let's look at the top down. Let's go from the bottom up. You know, He didn't feel yeah. the need to do all that. Like it seems um, all the blockbuster films do now. The bigger the budget, the more cuts between cameras there are. And it's so jarring. Like, you, you know how when... Uh, Maybe you're dining uh, with your family and you're chewing and everybody's chewing. You don't happen to notice the fact that everybody chews loudly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the moment you're not chewing and you're listening to somebody else chew, you all of a sudden it gets really loud and it's really grating. And that's what it feels like to me when I'm watching a movie that has all these cuts. It's like, okay, that's enough people. Stop it. You don't have to cut so much. I guess you're, you're chewing really loudly. I've, I've never, Turn I've never out. had that problem. Like I've never noticed huh. when somebody's chewing. It oh, I noticed it all, all the time. I noticed it in Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> they just cut the camera around. They're doing too much busy, busy cinema movements. I do agree with you though, in regards to cinematic, uh, uh, feel like that, that, that technique that's used so much today and sometimes to good effect, but it's just so overused and that none of that's here. You're, you're totally right. Yeah. Uh, and it's just very, uh, steady cinematography in, in, 
let's just let it tell the story. Let's let the people act. People. Yeah, but but it's more than just slow and steady. It's finding the angles that do the best at telling the story. I think, and 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 that do so with beauty and grace, and and that was definitely done here. Mm. Definitely, I was very. Uh, hey, I have a question for you. While I'm thinking about, it, I'm looking at my notes here, and I just saw it. What in the world was with Detective Loki's eyes? Was that is that Jake Gyllenhaal, or is that something he did as the character, or is that just now, something? Do you mean? Where he kind of like has a dro- one droopy eye? No, no, no. He kept like blinking them like hard or something, like doing this weird kind of a twitchy blinky thing with his eyes. You didn't, I didn't notice it? I, no, I did not notice that, but I, I was impressed when he gets beat up and he gets shot in the head. And so he's bleeding and he winds up in the hospital and he looks like a mess. And there was like blood in his eye. And I wondered to myself, how did they do that? It really looked like they had screwed up his eyeball. And I, I wondered, like, how did they get the red in there? Could be CGI. Uh, if it, no, that brings up another topic. This film didn't feel like it had any CGI. It didn't feel like it had any special effects. No, and I don't think it probably – it probably had a little CGI just because there is no film in the theater in this day and age that doesn't have some CGI. But if it did have any, it was done properly because you didn't notice it. It was so subtle. It felt like every it felt – like it was shot with an older camera, like on on film. It, it nothing about this well, felt digital. It was shot on film, and, and, and no. But what I mean is, like, even when you shoot something on film, you know, like thirty five millimeter, whatever, then you add digital effects to it. You can easily spot how they don't seem to be well married to the rest of the shot. Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> it's still noticeable to me in most of the cases. Like, I mean, even um, even something. Well, no, that's not. That's another topic for another day. But the thing is, it just this really felt like anything and everything on camera had no tr- trickiness to it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I really respect that because I'm not saying that they couldn't have sold it. They could have done it, and if it had been done well, I may have bought it. But they didn't feel the need to do it. They didn't go there. They didn't do it, and I'm happy. I thought it worked well. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, now, and of course, we already talked a lot about Hugh Jackman's character, but for what it is worth. This film has some really good performances. It's very plot heavy to me, and that's one of my disappointments with um, f- movies in general. I really appreciate a good television show that can be exploring character development. And so I wish the film could strike a better balance and explore more character development and not be just focused on the plot. But for what it is worth, that what appears to be character development is just really good acting by most of the characters. I most suppose that's true. Yeah, I mean, I do have some complaints like, uh, why was Terrence Howard in this film since he didn't get to do anything? Yeah. You know, like, what? Yeah. Wh- wh- why would you get a, a known actor to do something, to do a part like that? Like, I don't understand why he was in this film. And the same really goes for Viola Davis. Like, she's an award-winning actress. She's an Academy Award-winning actress. Why didn't she have anything to do in this film? I don't know. I think that sometimes it's a good thing. I like it when you get a really good actress to play a supporting role. I guess because they they can they can channel their uh, their talent energies into doing something with a supporting role as effective if as you know being a central character. I, I think I think that I, I can see your point, but I just really liked seeing Viola Davis. And Terrence, you know, they, they did a great job. Yeah, of course. Now, one other actress, going back to the likes, you know, another actress that is an award-winning actress, uh, I believe she's won an Academy Award, uh, Melissa Leo, 
uh, playing Holly Jones, and she was great. I mean, she and 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 that's part of the surprise of the film too. It, it, that that really I think worked really well. Like I I didn't see it, what happened coming. Did you? And yet, like in <laughs> like any good plot, it was a, it was apparent in retrospect as you look back. Oh well, yeah, that makes sense. To some, well, I I didn't see it coming, but I had a feeling that there was more to her character, and. Uh, so, so let's talk about her. I don't want to give too much away because I actually have a feeling well, like this. It, can I, can I just preface spoilers? Yeah. Before, I mean, we're, before, we're, we're in the spoiler territory now. We probably should have already called it because you can't, you can't mention yeah. it without spoiling it. Cause once you, once you say, oh, there's more to her character. Well, it's obvious where it's going, but spoiler alert. Yeah. But see, that's the thing is part of me doesn't even want to go into her because, um, I feel like it's giving it giving away too much for well, a thriller. I mean, a thriller is about the suspense and yeah. you're, you're risking a lot by giving away a spoiler when an entire movies, uh, you're going to work or not work based on suspense levels. Yeah, I guess, but I, we've called spoilers. So go ahead. All right. Okay. Well, the thing is Holly Jones is, um, she's really rotten person. The character. <laughs> you think? Yeah, she is absolutely diabolically evil. And, I looked up the definition of evil in the dictionary and Holly Jones picture was in it. Yes. Right multiple there. times. Yes. Um, and in, in the thesaurus as well. <laughs> so the thing is, I ha- have a couple of problems though with her character. She does a great Melissa did a great job acting. There's no question about that. Sure. But my one problem with this film is the character Holly Jones. And here's why she works really well to produce a very suspenseful film, but of all the characteristics of this film that seemed very believable, this one stood out as being absolutely unrealistic. And, and, here, and here's why. I've read a lot of stuff about criminal uh, psychology, and I, I know a thing or two from um, John Douglas, who's one of the best criminal profilers in the country. He's written several books, and he's examined the ins and outs of um, real world, a uh, scientific uh, criminal profiling, and there's just, for instance, there are some things that you know men and women who are criminals or murderers or suicidal will and will not do, purely based on where they came from, their social background, their religiosity, their sex, you name it. So, for instance, like TJ, did you know that women almost never knife a guy? or a person that they're trying to kill women historically like women just don't approach somebody with a knife and stab it into them. Interesting. Another thing is that men almost never, almost never poison other people. It's just, it's not in their nature. They just don't do it. Women, they do it all the time, but men, they don't wonder why that is. That's just, yeah, it's just one of the things though. And so, when you step back and you look at what's going on in the real world, women don't do the kinds of things that Holly Jones, this villain in the movie, do. Yeah, but Every, we're, we're, everything but, she does is but, consistent with what men do. Yes, but what you're saying is that that could never happen. I mean, like, I think that I know it, it does I, occasionally. I'm, sure, I'm not saying that it cannot happen, but it's practically never happened on record. Practically. Okay. There are very, for instance, there are, there has been very few real bona fide, uh, serial killers that were women. And, uh, I mean, like for instance, uh, 
Another one that should be a duh is there's practically never been, it has happened, but it's, it's very rare for a woman to try and rape someone. <laughs> well, I mean, you just, if you, you catch my drift. So the point is, when this character in Prisoners has done all these atrocities, it, it, in the film, it works. But in reality, I'm thinking, well, wow, this, this just never happens. So it kind of bothered me that in order to create such a powerful twist, they did something that was so inconsistent with what would happen in the real world. And, and for me, that felt like a huge cheat for an otherwise very faithful film to reality. It would have been like if you got to the end of the King's speech and rather than delivering the speech live and in person, he he got clever and he recorded himself and he cut it together after multiple takes to sound like he did a good job giving the speech or something. I guess. Like, like what? Wait a minute. Why would you do that? That like you just knock all the wind out of it. You're so clever, but you, at the same time, you just deflated the entire film by doing something so cheap. And, and, and it's like, you know, the, you know, the King's speech is actually based on true events. So in reality, they, they did it live with the King. But my point is, that's how, to me, it would have been a letdown if, they, if something like that had really happened. And so in this film with Prisoners, I expected so much more consistency with reality because up to that moment, the film had been fairly consistent. I guess. I thought it, it for me, I thought it really worked. But, you know, I, I, I was happy with it. The, to each his own. Teach his own. Yeah, well, you, you know, you know, you tell me though. Was there anything in particular that stuck out to you that you didn't care for? Um, well, I've already mentioned that I felt like the uh, Viola Davis and Terrence Howard characters could have been used better. I did think that the the, the motivation for uh, for Holly was a little bit weird. Like, well, I don't quite. I mean, I know that the film was all about the religious overtones, but I didn't quite get the whole fighting against God thing. Yeah, it's like she was supposed to be a cultish, but when she in the film makes a sort of an explanation, it's incoherent. I didn't really know what she was meaning. I almost feel like there was something, some pertinent information that we needed that was cut. Yeah, is, is kind of what it feels like. Uh, which, which th- that's another one of the things. Like, even though I was never really bored throughout the film, which is a positive thing. Like, I'm I I liked the film and I was never bored throughout the film, and yet I feel like it could have used a little bit more cutting. It was two and a half hours long, Joe. But I feel like it could have been a little shorter. That's funny you bring that up because I actually, I, it didn't occur to me that the film was so long. Really, huh. it did me. By the time it was over, even though I wasn't to the point where I was like, oh, is this ever going to be over? It was like, yeah, you could have trimmed it up a little bit. And, I'm, and I'm, you know, I enjoy a good slow film. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't want, I don't want it to be an action film. I don't want it to be, you know, like full of explosions and stuff. And I don't want to cut it short, shorter than it needs to be. And yet, I, I hardly ever feel like there's ever a film that justifies going over two hours. Very rarely is there a film that f- feels justified to me in going over two hours. And I feel like this is the same way. Like I feel like once they got to the two hour mark, they that was their welcome was over, and they should yeah. they should have oh. found a way to to pull it back a little bit. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting. We usually are on the same page when it comes to a film that goes for too long or too short, but I didn't notice that this time at all. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, again, to each his own. Now, I will huh. tell you this though. Uh, boy, wasn't that wasn't that hammer scene tense? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. That yeah. Was, there I, were and, several moments like that. The snakes in in the boxes. 
dude. Yeah, the, the most intense one for me though was the hammer scene because I'm like I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat going, okay, okay, is he really is he really gonna bash his head in? What what are we gonna do here? I mean, like you know, and and at this point you believed it, like he would, he would have taken that hammer, like he you thought he was probably far enough gone that he would take that hammer and bash that kid's head in, mm. and and, he, and and just you know, and then you kind of jump in your chair when the, when he crunch when the sink you know and he crushes the sink with the hammer and it was it was intense. But, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, like I said, the, the film, I feel like really, I mean, because when you, you find out and, and you're sitting here going, okay, how are they going to resolve this? Because if it turns out that it is, it is this kid, then what does that say for the justification of, of him, you know, throttling him and, and, you know, beating him to a bloody pulp? Like, was he justified in doing that? Is that what they're trying to say? But if it's not the kid, then, then who is it? I mean, you know, you've got all these unanswered questions and I, you know, this is why I think that for the most part, I think that it being Holly, uh, t- you know, tied in very nicely and, and really kind of showed like him, him taking this kid uh, and just, you know, he's already completely off his uh, out of his gourd or, you know, crazy because of the things that has happened to him. He's already had a really bad life. And then, you know, he knows it's him. There's something in his eyes. I can see it. Well, I mean, no, it wasn't him, you know. Right. So mm. anyway, well, it's interesting. What else do you got? Uh, well, I mean, like I, there was a few other characteristics I did enjoy. Um, on the whole, like I said, I, I mean, my major disappointment was what I believe was unfaithful to reality with uh, the villain. But at the same time, so much of the film was so believable and lifelike. I just found it to be downright surreal. And it worked so well as a thriller for that reason. And one of the great sells for this film was brought on by the locations. Everything felt like it was a very cohesive town. And you got to see so much of this town. And you got to see the, the good part of town, the bad part of town. You got residential areas. You have uh, so many dynamic parts of the story that were based on locations that were really strong. Like none of the houses that they were in felt for a moment like they were sets. No, they, not at all. They, they may have been, but I don't think they were. Everything looked like it was real. And uh, like if anything were a set, it may have been the Dover's basement where Keller has everything stacked neatly and he's got all these, you know, basically bunker supplies for the end of the world. <laughs> right. um, that might have been the one thing that was unreal. And so, but everything. Oh no, else, no, 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 no! Right. That was very realistic to me. You, you have, you don't, you don't know the right people, Joe. If you've never seen something like this, <laughs> that's right. I don't live in Tennessee. I've, I've seen, I've seen people like this, and I've been in basements like this. <laughs> no, it seemed very realistic to me. And I, I've known people like him, like you know, be prepared for the worst, pray for the best, be prepared for the worst. I mean, he, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it seemed very realistic to me. So, so that that kind of sums it up for me. Um, on the whole, people, this is just a really delightful thriller. It is great entertainment to the end. And for the majority of it, it's not just great entertainment. It feels like it's got a lot of substance to its plot. It gets your wheels turning and it really you know, makes you question how far you would you'd be willing to go if this was your daughter. Right. Like if, if it was your daughter that was kidnapped, I have two daughters. Like if one of my daughters was kidnapped and I thought that somebody had the information, what would I do to beat it out of him? You know, what or would I? That's the thing is that the, for the majority of this film, there are two daughters' lives at stake. 
Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, it involves two fathers. Yeah, you definitely. And you get to see how the two fathers respond to the situation very differently. I mean, it definitely puts you in a in a strange quandary because it, it never outright like it never makes you feel even though you don't like you're sitting there going, no, he should not be doing what he's doing. But you completely understand it. And, you, you know, the guy just wants to get his family back. He wants to get his daughter back. You know, so right. you completely understand. I mean, it's, it's really well acted and really well thought through in the way they did that. I will say, what was, how did you feel about the very end of the film? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you should bring that up because that was kind of nice, actually, in that there's not very many films that with their cut to the credits, they surprise you unless they happen to be called Inception. <laughs> Um, I was and, not surprised by the end of Inception, by the way. I knew as soon as he does did, did what he did in Inception. I'm not going to spoil Inception, but as soon, whatever happened, I knew as, as it was drawing to the close, they're going to cut to the credits and we're not going to find out. <laughs> and, and I would have agreed with you, except that my hopes were so high that I wanted them to show that the that this, this spinny top would fall over. My hopes were just so high. So with this film, it ends with a very simple surprise in how it ends. Like you didn't want it to end right there. You want it to end about two minutes later. Yeah. That's where you want it to end. Um, but even so it felt like it gave you enough information that you did see the proverbial spinny top fall over. Well, and, I mean, but what, how, would, how else would they have ended it though? When you really think about it, what would you see him putting cuffs on the guy and carting him off to jail? I mean, I don't know. You know, pulling him out, putting cuffs on him. Well, there's more to the character development that they could have pursued as well. Because at that point, um, you know, Detective Loki was still on the outs with Keller Dover. So Keller didn't just need to be rescued and he didn't just need to be locked up in handcuffs, but their relationship needed to be patched up a bit. And uh, Keller also needed to make amends with his son. Yeah, you know? I, you're right. I guess what we didn't see from Keller is really a good like. Like, I don't care about the relationship between Loki and and and, and uh, Keller because there never really was one. I mean, but what I did care about. We never about, get to see Keller reunited with his daughter. We don't get to see Keller reunited with his daughter, and we don't get to see any penitence or or any any like. A, uh, recognition well, like that what he did that was wrong. Times. Right. They brought that up multiple times. And even if he was going to be obstinate and, you know, pigheaded and not repent, then so be it then. At least show that in the end. But they, they didn't they, they didn't go there. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a, a bit of a surprise, the cut. And, and yeah, I kind of knew that they were going to do that. Like, it didn't really surprise me because I I just felt like, well, what are they going to do, though? You know, so yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 the the story resolved for the most part, so uh, you know, it's fine. Sure. So I give the film four out of five stars, and uh, you know, as long as you're okay, it, it has very strong language at times, and other than that, and, and it, it gets a little bit bloody and gory, but you know, if you know, if you can stand that sort of thing, it's definitely <laughs> worth watching once. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely agree. And like I said, I'm going to encourage the guys to review it with me on Movieology. And that said, I still stand by my, my, my problem with the film in the villain. And because of it, I would say it, it just, it, it really weakens a really smart thriller to me. And this is one time when I think a 
what could have clearly been a five-star film was brought down to a three and a half mm, by wow. what they did. You, yeah. you really hard on it. And the reason being that you are led on by just such a fantastic story and then the climax is so disappointing for me. So, there. All right. Good, fair enough. Uh, well, on IMDb, uh, it is getting an 8.3 out of 10 from the users. And on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics are giving it a 79% approval rating, which isn't too bad. But the audience is giving it a 90% approval rating. They're really liking it. And it's a it's a decent enough film. So mm, uh, there you go. So next week, we're going to be talking about the uh, film Rush. And this, to me, like doesn't hold that much interest. But I know it does to a lot of people. And I mean, it was either that or the family. And, you know, I'm sitting here going, uh, Rush, the family. I think I'd rather watch Rush. Uh, stars uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, Olivia Wilde and somebody who I can't remember who's the other lead. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that. It's about, uh, you know, the race car drivers or whatever. So next week, we'll be talking about that. So be sure you see that this weekend. Um, Joe, where can people keep up with your work and stuff online? I am available at jivingjacklope.com. That's where I write my stuff. And for the record, I manage another website right now. Uh, it's a vuty.com. That's V I E W T Y.com. And I post videos and stuff. And uh, it's just a, it's just a startup. It just got started. So don't be too hard on it. But if uh, you want to catch me, you'll see some of my writing there. Right, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro over there. Uh, you can uh, keep up with the writing and, and stuff that I do every weekday at moviebyte.com. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you'll find that at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 62 is where you'll find the show notes for this very episode. And you can uh, you know link up all the things that we talked about. You can see the IMDb profile and the the uh, you know the box office mojo profile and stuff for this film. And then all the stuff we talked about before that. You'll find all those links in the show notes. That is it for us this week. We uh, hope you'll stop by and give us a rating and a review in iTunes to help the show out. Uh, you just search, uh, just go to iTunes Store and search for Movie Bite, and we're the first thing that comes up. And uh, so, give us a rating there. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care. <laughs>